Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. We're going to have our Bible reading now. As I mentioned before, we are working through the book of Deuteronomy. We're up to chapter 30. Uh, Ben's going to cover a few chapters, but I'm going to read for you chapter 30, reading from verse 11 onwards. This is Moses talking to Israel just before they enter into the promised land. Now what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you to obey, not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven and get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. No, the word is very near to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. See, I set before you today life and prosperity death and destruction for i command you today to love the lord your god to walk in obedience to him and to keep his commands decrees and laws then you will live and increase and the lord your god will bless you in the land you are entering to possess but if your heart turns away and you are not obedient and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them i declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed You will not live long in the land. You are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witness against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life. And he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fo- for, to give to your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Thanks, Ross. Good morning. My name is Ben. If we've never met before, we're going to have a look at a few chapters here this morning. But before we do, let's pray, and then we'll get into it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the privilege that we have to be here, to be present in this room. Thank you, God, that you are among us and for the encouragement we've already seen this morning. Lord, we pray now that as we open up your word, that you would um, shape us, that you would change us, that you would comfort us and encourage us. And we pray, Lord, that we might meet with the living God, and that as we walk out this morning, that we'd be different because of it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So over the last four weeks at Southside, we've been running a course called the Alpha Course, which is helping people see Christianity and what it means. And I just want to thank you for your prayers if you've been praying for us over the last four weeks. On Tuesday night, we had a moment where we asked the question, what is faith? How do we have faith? And uh, from Tuesday night, we had at least one person make that decision to put their trust in Jesus for the first time. So it was such an amazing night uh, on Tuesday night. And it just reminded me of how much I love this course. Uh, It's such a great journey that you can go on exploring Christianity in a safe way where you get to ask your questions. And a few weeks ago, one of the questions that someone asked me before the uh, course was on was this really simple but profound question where they asked the question, 
why does it matter? Now, the heart of it was why does Jesus matter? Why does trusting in God matter? Why does this, the Bible, and what the Bible says, why does this actually matter? And I thought, it's such a good question. Because in, in reality, if we don't know why something matters, it doesn't move us. You know, and if you've ever experienced that, you know it can be crippling if you don't see the importance of something, whether that's at school, and you don't know why school matters, or uni, or work, or home, or health, or whatever it is. If we don't get why something matters, why it's important, we do nothing with it. And so that's, that's true in all of life, and it's particularly true when it comes to Christianity. In fact, some of the most important questions that we can ask and answer is, why does Christianity matter? Why does Jesus matter? Why does the Bible matter? Why does trusting in God, why is it so important that we can figure this out and get this right? Well, this morning, that's what we're going to do. We're going to push into that space and wrestle with these questions. And the reason we're doing this is because in Deuteronomy, that's where we find ourselves. So if you've been with us, we are now into week six of this journey in Deuteronomy. And the last five weeks, we've been seeing God speak to his people. Now, Ross mentioned it before. The context here is you've got the nation of Israel sitting on the grass, and over the road is the promised land, right? The land flowing with milk and honey. It's a beautiful land. And Moses is giving these last words to Israel before they go into the promised land. And we've been on this journey seeing what he's been saying. And, and we've seen so far God establish relationship first and then calls for a response. We saw last week he wants all of their hearts all of the time. But now we get to the pointy end of Moses' sermon. Now we get to this big moment where you can kind of sense his tone increases. His intensity picks up and he gives everything that he's got because he's about to point out why everything he's talked about so far really matters. It's kind of that moment, if you've been asleep on the grass for the last 14 chapters, this is the moment to wake up because Moses is about to give everything that he's got. He's about to show this people why this all matters, why everything he's spoken about is so important. So why does it matter? Well, he's back to his three-point sermons, which is good for us. And the first point that he's going to get at, the reason why this matters is because actions have consequences. Now, we see this as we enter into our Bibles from chapter 27 right through to chapter 28. We've got a little bit to cover here this morning. And in chapter 27 to 28, he's all about how actions have consequences in both the negative and the positive. So firstly, he starts with some curses. Now, we, we should just set the scene in chapter 27, if you've got your Bibles there, you can see they, he, he's pointing to the future, where uh, in the future they're going to cross into the promised land, they've got to set up some plaster with the law on it, just to kind of remind them what God has said to them. Then we see uh, from verse 9 that they split into, uh, as a nation into two, into both mountains, and then they're going to do this moment where they, they get at these curses, and it's this call and response moment. Right, where the priests give some curses, what's going to happen if they disobey God, and then the people respond and they go, Amen. Right, it's the first time we've seen this call and response moment, and it's really pretty straightforward, because basically the priests say, don't do anything dumb, and the people go, all right, we won't do anything dumb. Now, we see this from chapter 27, from about verse, uh, verse 9 and 10, it says, Obey the Lord and follow His commands that I give you. And then we get the curses. In verse 15, curses anyone who makes an idol, right? Don't do anything dumb. And the people go, Amen. Then we get again, verse 16, curses anyone who dishonors their father and mother. That's fair enough. The people say, Amen. And then we get this over and over again in the rest of it. It's all straightforward if you're following it. Nothing really new. 
you know, don't, don't do dumb stuff is essentially, you know, there's verse 18, cursed is anyone who leads the blind astray. The people are like, all right, we won't do that. But it's summed up in verse 26 where it says this, cursed is anyone who does not uphold the words of the law by carrying them out. And all of the people said, amen. Very good. You can tell we don't do this that much either here at Southside. But do you see the point? What's the point of all this? Well, the priests go, this is what happens. Actions have consequences. If you disobey God, there's going to be a punishment for it. And the people go, okay, we get it. Amen. We understand it. Right? And his point is, actions have consequences. Now, it does feel a little bit like a parent talking to a child, doesn't it? You can have the land if, repeat after me, you obey God. Don't disobey God. That's almost what it feels like, but they get it, they're all in on it, and then they say amen. And then we get, so curses to begin with, 11 verses of that, and then in chapter 28, we get some blessings, and this is the good stuff. In fact, if you're someone who highlights in your Bible, you've probably got 28 highlighted and not 27, but basically the point of this is if you obey God, it's going to go well for you. In verse 1, he says this, If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all His commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations. And what do the blessings look like? Well, pretty much in all of life, they'll be blessed. Everything will go well from them, from the land to their relationships, to their wars, to their food, to their agriculture. Basically, all of life will go well for them. And and then he kind of sums it up in verse 13, where he says, The Lord will make you head and not tail. If you pay attention to the commands, and, and the idea of head, not tail, is above all the other nations, If you listen, pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God that I give you to this day and carefully follow them, you will always be at the top, never at the bottom. Do not turn aside from any of the commands I give you today, to the right or to the left, following other gods and serving them. So you see the picture. Actions have consequences. If they disobey God, it's going to result in death. But if they obey God and listen to Him, remember, relationship first, God established this relationship with His people. If they respond to Him, it's going to go well for them. All of life, pretty much, is going to be good for them. Now, it's at this point that we kind of get it, right? That makes sense. You've got curses and you've got blessings. If we disobey God, death. If we obey God, life. That's essentially it. And the point's been made. You know, in fact, the balance here is 11 verses of curses, 14 verses of blessings, So the good stuff just outweighs the bad. That's the kind of balance that we like in life. Good outweighing the bad. And and he's made his point. And so you kind of, if you were to suggest what's to come next, you would take a guess to say that, okay, they're going to go into the land next. He's laid out what's going to happen if they don't, that actions have consequences. So the next step is they go into the land. But what we see is not that. In fact, what we see is that Moses goes back to the curses. And it's not just, oh, I missed a curse here or there, I missed the punishment for if you disobey God, but he goes back to some of the most brutal, savage curses that you can possibly imagine. In chapter 28 from verse 15 right through to the end of the chapter, if you read it, it just feels raw and confronting because he's doubling down on the curses. So what's he doing here? Well, let's feel the weight of what's he do, what, what he, he's doing. Let's feel the weight of these curses. Verse 15, he says this, If you do not obey the Lord, so he goes back to it, the Lord your God, or carefully follow His commands and decrees that I am giving you today, all these curses will come on you and overtake you. And basically, the curses are this, all of your life will be bad. 
everything from the food you'll go hungry the land won't produce for you your wars you will lose your relationships will fall apart you'll be kicked out and scattered among the nations so it's not just like oh there's going to be some bad stuff it's like no this is the most horrible thing you could possibly imagine if you disobey god it's going to go really bad for you but what's the key in this chapter the key is that god is going to do it Okay, so have a look. Verse 20, the Lord will send on you curses, confusion, rebuke you in everything because of the evil you've done. Verse 22, the Lord will strike you with wasting diseases, with fever and inflammation. Verse 24, the Lord will turn rain of your country into dust and powders, drought upon you. Verse 27, the Lord will afflict you with the boils of Egypt and with tumors. Verse 35, the Lord will afflict your knees and legs with painful boils so that you cannot be cured. Verse 49, the Lord will bring a nation against you from far away and you will lose that battle. Verse 61, the Lord also will bring on every kind of sickness and disaster. And then feel the weight of this from verse 64. Then the Lord will scatter you among the nations. From one end of the earth to the other, there you will worship other gods, gods of wood and stone, which neither you nor your ancestors have known. Among those nations, you will find no repose, no resting place for the sole of your foot. There the Lord will give you an anxious mind, eyes weary with longing and a despairing heart. You will live in constant suspense, filled with dread both night and day, never sure of your life. In the morning, you will say, if only it were evening. And in the evening, you will say, if only it were morning, because of the terror that fills your hearts and the sights that your eyes will see. The Lord will send you back in ships to Egypt on a journey I said you should never make again. There you will offer yourselves for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves, but no one will buy you. Do you feel the weight of what Moses is saying here if you disobey God? It's not just life's going to be a little bit difficult. Everything is going to fall apart. Physically, you're going to have no food. Your body is going to be sore even to walk. Emotionally, anxiety, depression, you're going to long for the day to be over and the next day to begin and that cycle is going to continue. Emotionally, you're going to be all alone. You're going to sell yourself as a slave and no one will buy you. And spiritually, God will be far from you. You'll be worshipping gods that can't see or hear or speak or do anything about your problems. And you will be scattered from the land. Everything will fall apart. If you disobey God, it's going to be bad. Now, there's a couple of questions that we've got to ask at this point. And the first question is, how could God do this? Right? Isn't God supposed to be a loving God? How could he do such brutal curses upon his people? Why why this amount of punishment upon his people? Well, it's an important question to ask, an important thing that we think about for a moment. Because throughout the Bible, we get this reality that from God, he is both a God of love and a God of justice. And those two things must always go together. Now, we've used this illustration a few times here at Southside before, but it's important that we do it. I think it's an important question we wrestle with. And so if we think about a courtroom, you know, we, it's fresh on our minds with the whole Cleo Smith story from a few weeks ago now. But they found the, the guy's name was Terence Kelly, who uh, abducted Cleo. Now, let's say that he goes to court for what he did. And the judge knows exactly what he did. You know, maybe they have more evidence than what we already know. 
And as he comes to the courtroom before the judge, and as he's about to declare, is Terence Kelly guilty or not guilty, the judge just says this, you know what, I'm going to declare him not guilty, innocent. And his justification for why he's going to do that is because it's the loving thing to do. Just going to let him go. It's, it's loving to let him go. Now, your response in that moment would be uproar. The whole world would be in uproar to that. Because we'd say that's not justice and it's not loving. It's not loving to Cleo Smith. It's not loving to her family. It's not loving to anyone to do that. And, and why do we feel that way towards that that we can see in a courtroom? It's because love and justice have to go together. Now, with God, He is a God of love. You know, we've seen that, haven't we, in the last five weeks in Deuteronomy? He picked this people out of nowhere. He carried them like a father, carries the son through the wilderness. He has loved this people. And He's also doing the loving thing to show them what the punishment for their sin is. If you rebel against God, this is what justice looks like. He's showing them up front what's going to happen. Actions have consequences. So this is how God could do this. It's because love and justice go together. And this is what we're seeing, Moses' first point of why this, matter, why, why this matters. It's because of this reality. If we're considering what's important, what we do has a reaction. But there is a second question we must ask about these curses particularly, and the second question is, why is it all so dark? You know, if you were to read that, I mean, we skipped over a bunch of it, but it is pretty dark. Why is it so dark? Why is it so depressing when you read through that? Well, I think if Moses is a little bit pessimistic about this people, he has reason to be. You know, Moses has been their pastor for the last 40 years. He's heard their complaints in the wilderness. I think when he looks at this people, he's pretty pessimistic about their chances in the future of doing the right thing. And so what we're about to see leads us into the second point, and it answers why it's so dark. It's because of the hopeless reality of the human heart. Moses gets what these people are like. Now, we see this as we go into chapter 29. In chapter 29, verse 1 begins with this covenant renewal, and it's almost like a, you know, a renewal ceremony, if you've ever seen them, like X amount of years after someone gets married and they have a service to renew their vows. This is almost what's happening in verse 1 between God and the people. They're renewing their vows. But Moses is sitting there in the corner going, I don't think this is going to work. And he tells them that. So verse 2 rolls around. He says, listen, you guys have seen all that God has done in Egypt to Pharaoh and his, all his officials. So you've seen it, right? You've seen the miracles. But look at verse 4. But to this day, the Lord has not given you a mind that understands or eyes that see or ears that hear. Moses is showing us the hopeless reality of the human heart. They saw what God did. They saw the miracles. They saw God bring them out of Egypt. They saw God defeat those two big giants that no one gave a chance, Sihon and Og. They saw that happen with their own eyes. They watched the miracles. They watched fire by night and the cloud by day. They saw it all, and yet they didn't see. He says, you were blind to it. Spiritually, you were blind to it. You had eyes, but you didn't see. You had ears, but you didn't hear. You had a mind, but you had no idea what was going on. You didn't understand. Moses is skeptical of these people. You know, it is interesting too at this point, often today I've heard people say, if I could just see a miracle, then I would believe. 
Israel saw miracle after miracle after miracle, and yet they didn't, they didn't, they didn't believe. They didn't get it. They didn't see. And so Moses says, you guys are spiritually blind. You don't get it. You have eyes but don't see, ears but don't hear, a mind that doesn't understand. And then what he does is he paints the most bleak future. In chapter 29, he says, listen, you're going to go and worship other gods, and then you're going to do your own thing, and then what's going to happen in the future is God's going to judge you, and you're going to be kicked out of the land, and every nation of the world is going to look in and ask about what's happening, and then have a look at this. Verse 24 at the end of 29. All the nations will ask, why has the Lord done this to the land? Why this fierce, burning anger? And the answer will be, it is because this people abandoned the covenant of the Lord. This people abandoned the God of their ancestors, the covenant he made with them when he brought them out of Egypt. They went off and worshipped other gods and bowed down to them gods they did not know, gods he had not given them. Moses knows this people, he knows what they're like, and he points to this bleak, dark future where they'll follow other gods and God will judge them for that because they have eyes but can't see. They have ears but can't hear. They have a mind that doesn't understand. And when the whole world looks into Israel and the punishment given to them, they won't go, how could God do this? They'll look at Israel and think, how could you do this? How could you break the covenant God made with you? How could you go your own way? You see, this is the reason the curses are so dark. It's because Moses knows who he's dealing with. He knows they need to hear, not the good stuff, but what happens when they reject God. So you've got actions lead to consequences. You've got the hopeless reality of the human heart. Now, if you were sitting there on the grass, listening to Moses, and this is his sermon so far, how are you feeling about the sermon so far? You know, I think this is that point where you kind of wish you stayed asleep because it's dark and it's hopeless. And it's kind of at this point that you're realizing that the cycle of the past is going to be the cycle of the future. And the problem of sin is just going to continue and, and the problem of pain is going to be present with you. And so you're sitting on the grass listening to Moses and it all feels hopeless. It all feels dark. And it's here also that I wonder if we could hear a voice that would, that would say, okay, Moses, so what are we doing here? What's the point of this then? If it's all dark, if the cycle of the past is going to be the cycle of the future, then what are we doing here? Why are we just living in this hopeless reality? And it would be to that question that Moses would speak chapter 30. Because as chapter 30 rolls around, we see... Moses' third point of why this matters, it's because only God gives life. Now, there's a hint of this in chapter 29, verse 29, which is this beautiful verse which says, The secret things belong to the Lord, our God, but the things revealed belong to us, so that we may follow the words of the Lord. It's pointing to a hope in God. In chapter 30, we see again there's this hint of this, that if they return to God in verse 2, God will have compassion on them in verse 3. We see a hint of this in verse 6, where it says, the Lord God will circumcise your heart, which is weird language, but you know today's version of that is to change your hearts. God will give you the hope to trust and love Him, but He spells all of this out, the hope of God, from verse 11, where He says this. Now, what I am commanding you today is not too difficult to you, 
not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It's not up in the heavens so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. Then he tells them, again, he repeats the same pattern. If you obey, if you disobey, what's going to happen? But then we pick it up in verse 19 where this is the key moment of his whole sermon. If you want to sum up Deuteronomy in a couple of verses, this is it right here where he says, and he's pleading with them, now choose life. Choose life, he says, so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice. Hold fast to him for the Lord is your life. He will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You see, after feeling the weight of actions, having consequences, and the hopeless reality of the human heart, now he's saying choose life. And what is the decision to choose life? It's a decision to fall at the mercy of God. It's to listen to God, to love God, to trust Him with everything because He and Him alone is the one who can give life. It's where Moses goes. This is the whole point of his sermon so far. Choose God, trust God because He can give you life. Now there is a question here. There's a slight question here because there's a little bit of confusion, I think, in the last couple of chapters. So five minutes ago, maybe less, he said you're deaf and you're blind. Spiritually, you can't see, spiritually can't hear. And now he's saying, see and hear God. What's going on there? How on the one hand can he say, you guys have no hope, and then on the other hand go, now choose God? What's, how does that make any sense? Well, I think we see throughout Deuteronomy and the bigger picture of the Bible is it, is it depends who you're looking at. The answer to that question depends who you're looking at. So if you're looking at humanity... And yeah, there's no hope. Humans are, like we are sinful. We are broken. We can't even live up to our own standards. Does that ever get to you? It gets to me like you apply a little bit of pressure to your life and we crumble. You know, a little bit of stress, a little bit of lack of sleep, a crying baby, and all of a sudden we, we just crumble under that. And I can't even live up to my own standards. Humanity, like we are hopeless. And so if you look at humans, if you look at us, we can't do it. We're not good enough. We can't save ourselves. So it's hopeless if you look at humans. But if you look at God, what you see is a God who loves to show mercy. A God who loves to heal the sick and care for the brokenhearted. A God who longs to show compassion and mercy to people. You see, the confusion of it, it really does depend on who you're looking at. If you're looking at humanity, we can't do it. We can't save ourselves. But if you're looking at God, there is hope. Now, if there's still a bit of confusion how this works out, this is how my story played out. So for me, I grew up in a home where I was taught about God. And I was taught about Jesus from an early age. But what happened was, over time, I thought I was really good. And um, I was kind of that religious kid that was also sinful and thought I was like the best thing to enter into your life. And it was the worst, right? I, like you just wouldn't want to be around me. But it wasn't just like I was deaf to other people, but my decisions led to a kind of death for myself. Because I was, even though I kind of knew some stuff, 
I was pursuing the good life in and of myself, and the good life, and, and so what would happen is on the outside it would look good, so I'd have these, you know, drink-ups that might look like they're fun, but there were time and time again that I remember it was leading to this kind of death where I would, like, <laughs> I remember it, like, you drinking up and then going to sleep at night, weeping because of the darkness that you're feeling in your life. Like an 18-year-old guy who thinks he's untouchable, being broken by the darkness that he feels in his life. This is my story. And so I I remember at one point, for whatever reason, I read this book uh, called Finally Alive by John Piper. I can't even tell you if it's a good book because I didn't finish it. But I remember reading a third of it, and in that book, he just goes verse after verse after verse of how humanity can't save themselves, how we're actually not good enough to save ourselves, and nothing we can do to save ourselves, and all of a sudden, the penny dropped for me that I wasn't good enough, and I couldn't save myself. Now, that sounds like a pretty depressing place to be, especially for someone who was already feeling depression. Doesn't that just sound like the worst thing ever? And yet, it was the complete opposite. Because when people get to this point, when we get to the point of realizing, you, know, you could call it the end of ourselves, when we reach the end of ourselves, realizing that we can't save ourselves, that we're not good enough, and we fall before God, do you know what we find? We find a God who loves to show mercy. A God who longs to show compassion. A God who is willing to give second chances a God who is welcoming us in. Do you see how this confusion works here from Deuteronomy? Humanity, it's hopeless. But when we look at God, what we see is a God who loves to show mercy. And so this plea from Moses to Israel to choose life is a plea. Guys, fall before God. Choose mercy. Choose Him, not your own way. So you see, this is his three points. Actions have consequences. There's a hopeless human heart, and only God gives life. Now, throughout this series, we've been asking this question, okay, so what do we do with this? What do we do with this as we're listening to this? And there's three steps that we've been making as we've been going on this journey. So the first step, we go, what does it mean for the original audience? This was written for Israel. Moses did preach this at a real point in time in history. So what does it mean for them? Well, I hope it's really clear Today, everything that we've seen is what it means for them. Moses wants them to choose life and not death. And the decision to choose life is a decision to fall before God's mercy, to listen to Him and love Him. And if they do that, it will go well for them. They will flourish. But if they don't, they will face the punishment for their decision. That's what it means for the original audience. Step two, we go, what does it mean for Jesus? How does this point us to Jesus? Now, we do this because the whole Bible is about Jesus. So how does Deuteronomy 27 to 30 point us to Jesus? Well, if this passage is about actions having consequences and the hopeless reality of the human heart and how only God can give life, this directly points us to what Jesus did at the cross. And it's interesting because after the cross, guys who saw it unfold, Jesus' first followers wrote letters to churches to encourage them how to live a life following Jesus. And one of those books is the book of Romans. Now, we did this earlier this year, but this is fascinating to watch how these three things are seen throughout the story of Romans. So in Romans 1 to 6, what we see in the opening chapters of Romans is it's all about how actions have consequences. 
if you know it, right? I mean, you get those famous verses in Romans chapter 3 that there is no one righteous, no one good, no one who seeks God. In chapter 6, verse 23, is the kind of sum of all this where he says, the wages of sin is death. You know, in 1 to 6 of Romans, there is a whole lot here about how actions have consequences, and if we are going to rebel against God or reject Him, then we're going to face the consequences for that. And it's death. It's eternal separation from God. The whole story of the Bible is pointing us to this reality. But then you keep reading Romans, and you get to Romans 9, and Romans 9 is all about the hopelessness of the human heart. In fact, there's this one line in Romans chapter 9 where it says this, It does not therefore depend on human, uh, on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. And it's almost like Paul is saying, guys, you're spiritually blind. You have eyes, but you can't see. Ears, but you can't hear. A mind that doesn't understand. You can't save yourself. You can't do it. But if Romans 9 leaves you feeling this sense of hopelessness, well, then Romans 10 comes on board. And in Romans 10, what we find is Paul uses language from chapter 30 in Deuteronomy to point us to where we turn in all of this, to the only God who can give life. And notice how he does this. In chapter 10 of Romans He says this, verse 6, he says, But the righteousness, that is by faith, and righteousness just means being declared innocent or not guilty. The righteousness that is by faith says this, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. Does that language sound familiar? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is, and here Paul, he's showing us what Deuteronomy 27 to 30 points us to Jesus. That is the message concerning faith that we, we proclaim if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Only God can give life. And that's the whole reason Jesus came. He came into the world because actions have consequences. He came into the world because people couldn't save themselves. There's nothing they could do. They can't be good enough. But as Jesus died on the cross and then was raised and then ascended into glory, what Jesus did in that moment was giving people a hope of life, not death. So the choice for life right throughout the Bible is a choice to follow Jesus and love Jesus. Because anyone who confesses inwardly that Jesus is Lord and believes that He's alive will be saved. So step one, original audience, step two, Jesus, and then finally step three is what do we do with this? What does this mean for us? Well, I think today there's two things that it means for us, this passage. Firstly, the first thing it means for us is we've got to get our own affairs in order. You know, whenever we're reading the Bible, we have to recognize that it's firstly speaking to me. What does it mean for me? And I think as we read this passage, it's, it's about me getting my affairs in order. It's about you getting your affairs in order. See, actions have consequences. You know, it, it does. A God, we have a God who sees all and knows all. And sin leads to death. And there's this reality, you can't save yourself. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. You can't be good enough to save yourself. You can't do enough religious stuff. It doesn't matter what clothes you wear. It doesn't matter what things you do. It doesn't matter how much money you give. You, you just can't do it in and of ourselves. We can't save ourselves. But there's a God 
who offers life. You see, the decision for me, when I realized I couldn't save myself, to fall at the mercy of God was the best decision I ever made. By such a long shot. The best decision I ever made was to fall at the mercy of God because there you will find it. Now this morning, I wonder if you're here this morning and and this is the invitation you're feeling. Maybe you've been on a journey for a little while. Maybe it's been a long journey. Maybe it's been a short journey. Maybe, you know, you're just here today for whatever reason. But there's this sense that God is inviting you to find life. He's inviting you to see that sin leads to death, that we can't save ourselves but that Jesus is the offer for life. If that's you here this morning, all we've got to do is inwardly believe that Jesus is Lord, that he is king of my life and king of everyone's life, that he's king of the universe, that he's Lord, and that he's alive. And and this morning, what we're going to do in a moment, we're going to pray, and in that prayer, I'm going to give you a chance. If you want to do that inwardly, you can pray that with me. And then it says outwardly, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is alive, And so there's this invitation to speak to whoever you came with or whoever's around you about this truth. But there's this chance, first and foremost, to get our own affairs in order. That's what it means for us. But then there's a second thing it means for us here this morning too. The second thing it means for us is we've got to remember this matters most. You know, that was the question we began with. Why does this all matter? And I hope you can see now why it matters. It's because of the spiritual realities that we're presented with in the Bible that heaven and hell are real. Sin leads to death. People can't save themselves. Only Jesus can bring life. And this truth is something that we need to make sure is at the top of our lives. It's something that drives us more than anything else. Now, I think this is something we need to hear right now. You know, at least for the, over the last couple of years, it's, it's one of those moments where I just feel like this is a moment for us where we need to remember this because there's so much in our lives right now that is just distracting us. You know, I've been talking to so many people about the distractions of their life. You know, here at Southside, whether it's job distractions, whether it's work has shifted and there's more responsibility or work has shifted and there's less responsibility, whether it's new jobs or whatever the circumstances around work, work can bring us this distraction. Or it's the distraction of being a stay-at-home mum or a stay-at-home dad where it's difficult and it's hard. You know, it feels like finally in Brisbane, Queensland, we have the global pandemic finally on our doorstep. This is providing us confusion and pain and difficulty. There's all sorts of flow-on effects of all of that. There's distractions of Netflix, distractions of our phones being in our hands all of the time. And then there's the distraction of living in an outrage culture, you know, where everyone's outraging, raging about something new every five minutes and what happens is all of this builds up to be this great distraction now listen i'm not saying that's not important of course it is of course there's certain things in there that are important but i think one of satan's big efforts in moving us away from what we're supposed to do is to distract us in fact, it was in his book, so C.S. Lewis was a great theologian. It was in his book, Screwtape Letters, where he said the number one tool for Satan was distraction to get Christians off from doing what they're supposed to do. And the way that he distracts us is not by moving us from what matters to what doesn't matter. It's usually from what matters most to what matters, some amount. And so what do we do with all of this? Well, I think this morning it's an invitation to remember this truth here that we've wrestled with today matters more than anything else. The spiritual realities of heaven and hell 
matter more than what's going to happen in the next couple of months in our world. And we've got to strive to remember this, to keep this at the forefront of our minds and let the truth of what Jesus has done at the cross and his saving message be the thing that moves us and drives us more than anything else. So this morning, as you think about your own heart, you know, what's going on for you? What outrages you at the moment? What's causing you upsetting? What upsets you? What distracts you at the moment? This is an invitation to come back to remember this truth matters more than anything. Sin leads to death. And we have a God who wants to bring us life. Now I'm going to pray, and in this prayer I'm going to give you a chance, if you want to put your trust in Jesus for the first time, I'm going to give you a chance to echo these words after me and to do that, and then after the service I'd love you to talk to someone about that. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, inwardly we confess, Jesus, you are Lord, and you are the only one who can bring life. Jesus, we confess to that you are alive and you conquered death and you rose back to life. We put our trust in you, in Jesus' name. Amen.